The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. What do we do with the enormous suffering created by such things as deadly illness and trauma? You know, they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But when the miracles come, what is it that happens within us, around us, about us? What is it that transforms us? Mark Nepo is coming back to The Authentic Show today to discuss his latest book, Inside the Miracle, in which he reveals his own miraculous recovery from cancer and all the profound insights that came with it during, right after, and in the years since. Mark is the best-selling author of the Book of, of Awakening, a poet, philosopher, and spiritual teacher who's published 16 books and 11 audio projects. He's been interviewed on uh, ABC as well as on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. And today's interview is going to be moving, profoundly insightful, and it will offer powerful guidance to those suffering right now. So we're going to be here for the whole of this, this interview today. Welcome, Mark, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you again for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be back with you. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to our talk today. I have read the book and really, really enjoyed reading it. I think, as, as I said uh, just before the show started to you in private, I, I think it really comforts as well as challenges us to grow and, and to become more whole. So thank you for writing it. Oh, you're welcome. I Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, first, what I want to do is ask you, if you will, to just briefly tell the story of your journey with cancer, just just the facts of what happened during that history. Sure. So I'm 64, and in my mid-30s, um, I, uh, I underwent a rare form of lymphoma. And so there was a three-year period where I went through two appearances of cancer, and uh, the first was a tumor that grew in my skull bone, and it grew to the size of a grapefruit and was pressing on my brain, and no one was really sure exactly what that was, and I went through, oh my goodness, you know, a gauntlet of tests and biopsies, and, um, and that turned out to be this rare form of lymphoma, and um, just... Um, you know, hours before having a craniotomy, which would be brain surgery, um, I was sent home by the graces of an amazing neurosurgeon who said, I don't really know what's happening here, and I want to get some other people to look at you. And when I came back in a week later, um, one went an an open biopsy, which revealed that it was cancer. and then I was turned over to the world of oncology. And uh, 
with not so great doctors, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I was fighting and, and trying to find my way. And just before being sent in for spinal chemotherapy, um, I insisted on one more MRI and the tumor vanished and it was a miracle. And I was kind of spit out of the mouth of the whale like Jonah back into life. Uh, No normal to return to. Everything had changed. This had turned me inside out and um, tried to find my way, my ground. And within 10 months, there had been a sister tumor uh, very small, not as dramatic as on my brain, that was growing at the same time, and that started to show itself, and I was thrust back into the cancer world, and this time, this is when I was really in despair and afraid I would die. I felt like, did I waste this second chance? Did I somehow violate the, the blessing of this miracle that was given to me? And, and nothing that I did before seemed to help. And now um, I discovered that the thoracic surgeon who removed that rib was part of the miracle. And within weeks of having my rib removed, I was a candidate for very aggressive chemotherapy. And even the damn chemo was part of the miracle. And after four months of aggressive chemo, the chemo started to kill me and I had to stop. And I've been healing ever since. And so I discovered that miracle, and we can talk more about this, isn't an event, it's a process Mm -hmm. that brings us to discover the extraordinary and the ordinary. And that really, you know, uh, changed everything uh, for me. And I became out of this journey. I know I'm, I'm Jewish, I was raised Jewish, but I was blessed to have people from all faiths and traditions and even non-traditions, even atheists and scientists. I, I was blessed to have people from all, all ways and manner uh, offer me some blessing and kindness and help. So to still be here, I wasn't, and still all these years later, 28 years later, I'm still not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. And so I was challenged to believe in everything. Mm. Ever since, I've been a student of all paths, um, and really trying to reveal what I feel is the common center of all paths and the unique gifts of each. And all my teaching and all my books have, have uh, really been devoted to that inquiry ever since. Yes, and it absolutely is an inquiry with more questions than answers, is it not? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, I write about what I need to learn. If I only wrote about what I learned, I'd write what I know, I'd write very little. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, during that whole process, I mean, this whole thing of the body and the mind is such a huge concept to even try to, you know, incorporate. Uh, but somehow in this process of of, of, you know, having to go through cancer and all of that, you learned how to listen to your body and, and, and tune into your own intuition. Tell us about that process. Well, you know, and, and, and let me, as I do talk about that, talk about some teachers along the way. So, you know, I was not very, you know, when I came down with cancer in my mid-30s, though I was very holistic in my worldview and 
heart-centered in my worldview. I really was up in my head quite a bit. And, um, and I wasn't really paying attention to my body until then. You know, this kind of brought me into my body. I was, you know, very kind of transcendent and romantic and, you know. Um, and so one of the things that first happened in this is I was forced to, to listen to my body and pay attention and learn what it was saying to me. And at each point along the way, you know, I had to at first say no to craniotomy and, and uh, no to spinal chemotherapy. And, and then I had to say yes to surgery and therapy and then stop it. And so at every juncture, there was a different decision, which only my body and my intuition could direct me to. So let's talk for a minute about what does it mean? What does intuition mean? So intuition is kind of, as I understand it, as I experience it, is the, the kind of knowing that we're born with. We're not taught it. We didn't inherit it. But it's our innate uh, sense when we tune in to the currents of life. So the way a fish will find a current and swim with it, we have intuition by which we can sense life, life force and aliveness and the current of, of the universe. And our job like a fish is to find that. And so each time I had to make a different decision, I was finding the current and trying to align with it. You know, all the spiritual traditions speak about health by different names as when the part is aligned with the whole, W-H-O-L-E. And they all describe dis-ease or disease as when the part is separated from that current of the whole. So I was, you know, forced to inhabit my body and forced to listen. And, and I felt like my job, and I offer this for anyone going through anything difficult, you know, especially physically, when I, for instance, had to have my rib removed, I felt like my job was to have, would do whatever I could inwardly to have that tumor be as close to the surface and ready to let go so that when the surgeon came from the outside, it would almost, almost give itself up into his hands. My job was to meet the outer with the inner. That was key to my participating in my own healing. And, you know, as I mentioned, teachers along the way, I, you know, early on, and I met so many kind souls in, along the way, many of who are not here anymore, and two such people were Janice and Tom, and, you know, they represented very different approaches, and I learned from each of them. Janice was a very uh, strong strong woman who did not believe in in traditional medicine and she I met these people in wellness groups where you know we were struggling uh, to to try to help each other through being thrown into life-threatening situations and Janice um, chose to resist and not participate in any kind of traditional medicine and only rely on her sense of self and which she did, but she also, you know, I watched her uh, die a very painful and drawn out death. 
because she refused anything greater than herself. And Tom, on the other hand, was totally the opposite. He, he had no sense of self, as far as I could tell. You know, these are my perceptions. Um, and he acquiesced to whatever any doctors or nurses or, uh, you know, rehab people wanted him to do. He just said, whatever, you go ahead. And, you know, as William Blake, the great William Blake, one of his aphorisms is, without contraries, there is no progression. And so Tom didn't progress. He withered away and disappeared. And so, you know, from that point on, especially in the heat of that, they were like guardians on each of my shoulders, you know, because we each have both. We have the strength of self that, if gone too far, becomes stubbornness. And we have the flexibility and the acceptance within us that if gone too far, just disappears. We were not there. And so I, every decision I had to face, I heard each of them over my shoulder and tried to find a balanced way through when to stand strong and when to accept help and when to, um, you know, and when to, yeah, just accept help. So, you know, one of the things as we talk about all this is, is when we're in life-threatening situations, it brings into relief and accentuates com- the common struggles that every human being has to face that are a little more subtle in the everyday. So we, we all have Janice and Tom in us, and we face it every day when we go to the store or fill up the car. And so, you know, we, in our fear of being thrown into these situations, we'd like to think, oh, poor people who are going through this, well, at least I'm not like them. Well, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're all in this. We're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, it only makes it more clear. You know, I think we don't ask enough for the wisdom that, uh, from those who suffer. We don't ask people who are suffering, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you know for what you've been through that we don't know because we haven't been there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, and that, that brings you back when you start saying, well, these are the, here's some external uh, realities that are sort of telling their story and giving me their metaphors in my, in my presence so that I get to be gifted with that. Uh, but doesn't it also put you back more in touch with, okay, well, what does my body and my intuition want to do with this particular given crisis? Uh, yeah, this is, this is one of the, the central paradoxes in being human is that no one can go through and live your life for you or access the wisdom that comes directly from your body and your soul but you and... The other side of the paradox is no one can make it alone. <laughs> we, I think life has been made just hard enough that we need each other. And I think that's to ensure the journey of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's one of the things, and I think I want to talk about that after the break. But uh, one of the things that, uh, that I'm aware of, and I'm sure you were during that time as well, and maybe since, is that fear tends to keep us from being able to, to clearly hear what's going on in the body. And fear is often related to all the externalities of 
life that, you know, what we should do and what we ought to do and what people think we should do and what will they think if we don't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that, you know, that again throws us back into, well, what does my body say and what does my intuition say? Uh, yes, and let's and let's. It'd be good to talk a little bit about fear after the break. Yeah, yeah, I really want to do that because I I think that's, and I will just confess that as one of my chief uh, things that I deal with in life is fear. Is that uh, you know when something comes up, my first reaction is fear, uh, and uh, so it's it, it's I can laugh at it now after years of having <laughs> listened to it yammer in my ear but uh, but but it, it you know it is one of those things that just kind of says listen to the externals don't listen to the internals but you but learning to listen learning how to listen to our body and i think that's one of the things that is so important about your book is there's a there's a there's plenty of how to's there's uh some some ways that um we're being you you challenge us with questions you challenge the reader with questions and and experiential kinds of, uh, of, of of walking through the material in your book to to help us learn that how to of the body and that how to of the intuition that that really is just so so very important to so oh, well, well thank you I think you know every everyone has to deal with fear mm-hmm. part of the human journey and the key is um, how do we move from being in fear to having fear being in us. Right. So we're going to talk about that right after the break. We'll be back in just a few more minutes. Stay tuned for more from Mark Nepo. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live. Channels to a New Reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. The Divine Masters and Angels of Love and Light are here to assist you on your life's journey. Brigitte Boyer channels St. Germain and other Masters and Angels every week on the power of transformation, pathway to enlightenment. Each transformation can be frightening and uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to be done alone. Receive loving support to help you remain balanced and at peace. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a PhD, a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors and lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to hone it it, and credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. That's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. You can call today and get your passport. And today we're talking to Mark Nepo about his beautiful book, entitled Inside the Miracle, and we said that uh, during this, this second segment, we are going to talk a little bit about fear and how fear uh, is one of those things that we generally have to encounter during any kind of crisis, be it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, etc. And uh, Mark has agreed to read a beautiful poem from his book called Tufu's Reappearance, and I'd like you to ask you to do that now, Mark. Sure, thank you. So Tufu, just for folks who may not be familiar, was a Chinese poet, great Chinese poet from the 700s of the Tang Dynasty, and very, very real, authentic, and um, when I first read him as an undergraduate, I felt like I had a friend across the centuries, and so when I was going through cancer, he started to appear in my dreams, and those dreams really guided me, and this was one about fear, Tufu's reappearance. Out of the yellow mist he came again, his Asian beard in tow. We were on a healthy shore, and he sat cross-legged in the sand, scratching delicately with a branch his slender head down. 
I crouched and put it to him. How do I block the fear? He kept scratching the sand as if he hadn't heard. I grew angry and said again, how do I block the fear? He lifted his head and shrugged, branch waving above him. How does a tree block the wind? With that, he disappeared. Beautiful. And that is, that is so true of the answer, isn't it? We just sort of have to surrender to it in some kind of way. Well, a tree doesn't block the wind. It lets it through. Yeah. And so one of the things about fear, you know, I was, when I was going through this, the heat of this uh, 28 years ago, I had not been through anything very difficult physically. And I was terrified of everything. I was just, you know, so fearful. And one of the things about fear and pain immediately that I learned, not through any wisdom, but, you know, I, I was afraid of everything, everyone who came to me, everyone who touched me, every place I was brought to. And very quickly, it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn to discern what was actually something that was worth being afraid of and what was actually pain and what was just being handled and lifted and turned around in the bed and poked and things I didn't like, but were they pain? And the same thing, you know, there were things that were unknown to me and disorienting and maybe made me a little nervous, but were they all really objects of fear. So I had to discern what was fear and what was pain because responding to everything as if it was just off the charts was just exhausting. I couldn't, I actually exhausted myself through pain, through my fear of pain and my fear of fear. So one of the things about fear, let's talk for a minute about and back up that um, and you and I began to talk about this during the break, but that there, there are several ways that we all have to deal with fear. And the, the, the primary one is that it's so precious to be here that it's natural to fear when we won't be here. That is our death. And whether you live 100 years or 20 years, it's natural that the more we appreciate life, the more we uh, don't want to look forward to not being here. So we are in a conversation with our own mortality from the moment we're awake, from the moment we're born. And it's important to have that conversation and keep that conversation going because if we don't, if we avoid it, if we run from it, it doesn't go away and it will spill into situational fear and make it worse. So if I don't address or look at um, my own position in life in general, then when something comes along that's frightening, all of that unlooked at energy will spill in and make the situation 10 times worse. So that that's one thing that... Um, if you see, if if you feel like you're reacting more than a situation warrants, it's a sign to say, well, maybe, maybe I need to be in conversation with my life again, to even things out, and then I can return to the situation at hand a little more clearly. 
I think another thing about fear is that fear, I've learned, gets its power from not looking and gets its power mostly from the future, um, being afraid of what might happen. And, you know, I learned this in several ways. Uh, you know, the, the, the old kind of thing as a kid, if you don't look in, if there's a boogeyman in the closet and you don't look, it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. But when you do open that closet and wait quietly and bravely, your eyes adjust to the dark and you see. And it's the same thing with the cloud of our fear. So, so pain, fear, and worry and anxiety, they present themselves, the way they say hello is all-encompassing. That's how, that's the nature, the physics of fear, pain, and worry. But whether they stay all-encompassing has to do with how we receive them. So, for instance, if I were to stub my toe, like when you're on a hike and you hit a boulder, you didn't see. And like real, like when you think for a minute, I might have broken my toe. And in that moment, forget how beautiful the day is. Everything, your entire body, your entire existence for that moment is the pain in your toe. And then as it starts to subside, it hurts and it may hurt for a week, but now it starts to throb. And now, now we're back to what we're talking about. The miracle of the day never left. The sun never stopped shining. The beauty of the hike never went away. And now we're challenged, where do we give our attention? We can't deny our fear, otherwise we'll drown in it and our pain. Um, But we can't ignore it either. So we have to let the beauty of the day in to right-size our pain and our fear. And I'll I'll give you a more recent example where I learned a great deal in the last, it was about five years ago. And it actually, this medical situation, I'm fine now, but it was very challenging, the most challenging thing since my cancer journey. And it came out of the damage that that happened to me because of my chemo years ago. So I had a very severe stomach flu and most people recover And so my stomach nerves, because I have neuropathy from the chemo all those years ago, which damages nerve endings, my stomach nerve didn't recover. And so my stomach was stopped emptying and it was like a backed up sink. Now, I never knew that this could happen. And I learned that this is called gastropoiesis. And it's never clear if it will be an episode or if it will become chronic. And so it took seven months for my stomach to start working again and while that was going on um, I was very fearful I was afraid what if this is chronic how can I live like this and my compassion how how do people there are people who live like this how do they do it oh my god and one of the symptoms is that You'd never know how much you can eat. And I lost a lot of weight. You, you, if you eat, you could eat one day four bites instead of two. But whenever you cross that line, you get a very painful attack right under your sternum. So it was during the summer, and we have wonderful bird feeders, thanks to my wife in our backyard. And in the summer here in Michigan, there are two days. You never know exactly which two days, but two days when Baltimore Orioles show up. 
very beautiful, colorful birds. And so there they were. And I rushed to the window because I didn't want to miss them. And just as I got to the window, I got one of these attacks. And there we are. There we are. You know, more pronounced for me in that moment, but it is the situation we all face every day, every one of us. I couldn't deny my pain because it would make it worse, but I couldn't give over to my pain and close out the rest of life. So awkwardly and not doing it well, I tried to acknowledge my pain and not miss those Orioles. Yeah. Because, not just because they're beauty, but we're asked to let beauty in while we're suffering because beauty is part of the medicine that right-sizes pain and fear. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And that's so beautifully said, too, Mark. I, I, I think that's it's so very important to be able to look at life as a whole instead of in in cut off separated increments that we tend to look at it as compartmentalized little spaces of pain or fear or trauma or trauma or you know something like that instead of well here's the whole picture well let me let me share this is another from that time because this was another great learning in terms of of how fear pulls us from where we are. And so at that same time, this was a time, I was 54, I'm 64, so this was 10 years ago. Um, And at that time, or I can't remember now, it might have been seven or eight years, but but at that time, I was uh, reconnecting with my father, who's now gone. He died a few years ago at 93. And we hadn't been in touch with each other for 15 years. And we, thankfully, we, we had some very close years at the end of his life. But I was very afraid, as much as I wanted to see him, I was afraid of what going back into that world would do to my identity. So I had a fear of the past. At the same time, I had this stomach condition, which gave me a fear of the present. Now, at the same time, within about uh, three weeks of this, I was let go, laid off at a job I had had for many years. And it was a great surprise. And all and I was sick, so I lost health insurance. And now I had a fear of the future. What am I going to do? What were we going to, my wife and I going to do? I couldn't, I wasn't well enough to look for other work at the time. Uh, I wasn't sure we, what if I needed health insurance? So all of a sudden, I was in a position where I was afraid of the past, afraid of the present, and afraid of the future. Wow. Well, I kind of used up all the tenses. (laughs) (laughs) And through, so there was nowhere to go but to stay right where I was. And even though right where I was was uncomfortable and painful and scary, there was somehow an inch or two that I was standing on that was mystically solid. That was a ground of being. I couldn't go back or forward or explore where I was because I was afraid of all directions. And I discovered, to my surprise, again, because I had discovered this years ago during my just cancer journey, even though where we are may not be where we want to be, it's known And there's a solidity under us, 
no matter what. And so I just stood there until after several days, the two inches grew to four inches. And then within a week, it became a foot that was solid. And so that it was only until I could move and there was enough solid ground that I could take a step that I could grow into what was awaiting me. So, you know, I think one of the most powerful things we can do when feeling powerless is to admit the truth of where we are. Because it's only from there that we can disempower our fear and our imagination of where this might lead or where I've come from or what might happen next. No one knows. And it's understandable that we, we have to have compassion for ourselves. We will jump ahead. We will be fearful. But being human, we can always come back to the, the very small, solid ground of being that's underneath us wherever we are. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that present, that being present with the fear about the future, the fear about, fear about the past and the, and the present presence, <laughs> that's a mouthful, but it, it's, it, it really does make that difference. And, and what you said really there, Mark, about standing until it became more and more solid, the, the ground beneath you became more and more solid, is that process Carl Jung talked about, and we can talk about this some more right after the break, which we're going to take in a minute, about holding the tension between the two opposites that seem to be calling us, each of them calling us to compromise. Yes, that's Absolutely, yes. Yes. So we're going to be back in just a minute to talk some more with Mark Nepo. Be here for that. You don't want to miss it. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. How do we move forward? It's all a process of clearing and cleaning, as well as reconnecting. Tune into Transformation with Laota Rasul and Ahad Rasul. On our program, we'll showcase the strategies and techniques that help us with these processes. You can't move forward until you are in the right position to heal your space and place. Reveal the true self to yourself. Listen for Transformation every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. 
visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back talking today with Mark Nepo about his book, Inside the Miracle. Before we talk any further, I want to tell you about the upcoming Super Soul Sunday on Sunday, December the 6th at 11 uh, a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Oprah's going to be talking to New York Times columnist, political pundit, and best-selling author David Brooks for a candid conversation about core virtues and getting on the road to building character. So you want to be there for that. David Brooks is a very interesting um, and intelligent uh, speaker and talker, and so I really want to, I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I hope you'll join me. Super Soul Sunday, December the 6th, 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And so, Mark, we're, we were talking during the break about how this fear of, of, of the fear that comes up, as we talked about in, our, in the last segment, what is so much about the fear of death. So I wanted to ask you if you would read your poem, Endgame. Oh, sure. And I know this one by heart. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Endgame. Death pushed me to the edge, nowhere to back off. And to the shame of my fears, I danced with abandon in his face. I never danced as free. And death backed off the way dark backs off a sudden burst of flame. Now there's nothing left but to keep dancing. It is the way I would have chosen had I been born three times as brave. Beautiful, beautiful, very moving poem, uh, as all of your poetry is, and yeah. uh, thank you. Oh, thank you, and you know, I think that the image, and you know, and, and let me say here, you know, I retrieve the poems more than author them, and they're the teachers, and so that poem, which was written, uh, actually, in my, it came to me while I was being wheeled into have my rib removed, mm. and I was on the stretcher looking at the ceiling lights flipping by, and and the image, what it told me, you know, just as a sudden burst of light, well, no matter how many bursts of light, eventually the, the candle will go out. Mm-hmm. Not because it's a bad candle, but because that's part of what happens after a candle, and it's what happens to all of us after a life, no matter how long. But still, the only thing left is to keep dancing, mm-hmm. to keep dancing our light while we're here. And, you know, in that regard, eternity is not, we're taught eternity is living sequentially, you know, forever. No, no, eternity is any moment that's opened to all of life and all of time. And only by dancing our light and being fully present, holding nothing back, do we briefly access that amazing sense of oneness. But, you know, I think it's very natural to... Um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm in my 60s. I just 
in these last two years, there's been a lot of loss. My, as mentioned, my father, and recently we lost my wife's uh, mother. And and I had a dear friend who just recently who was my, a mentor and friend he died at 102. Wow. And you know, losing loved ones. I'm well, I'm fine, I feel, you know, it's interesting, I was ill when I was young, but I'm so well as I get older, <laughs> and so I, there's nothing wrong with me, I don't have any reason to fear that something's going to happen, I hope to live a lot longer, but you can't encounter the loss of loved ones without being asked to have the next phase of conversation with your own mortality. Absolutely. This is natural. And you know, there's a funny little story in the Talmud that Moses supposedly lived to be 120, and he was busy. He was engaged and all of it with with something, you know, just ever active and creative. And um, and God tapped him on the shoulder, and Moses turned around and said, "What? So soon?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do. I think I think that's how it ought to be. That we ought to be dancing and dancing, and and then boom. We're out. We're dance right on off, off the stage. And I feel so much that, you know, the life of our heart and the depth of all of our feelings is our greatest resource. And, you know, since the beginning of time, human beings have wanted to sort out the good feelings from the difficult ones. And we can't do it. We can't do it any more than if you give me a glass of water and I say, oh, no, I only want the hydrogen, please. Yeah. And you even if you could separate it, it would stop being water and stop being quenching. And the same thing with life. Life come, the water of life is as a whole, and we can't separate it out. We have to move through it. You know, I, I was in, uh, actually, I was, it was in August, I was recording the audiobook of this book, Inside the Miracle, out in Boulder, It Sounds True. And, and that, that audio uh, box set will be out soon, too. And... I was very tender and very vulnerable, and I was, after we'd recorded one day, I was in a cafe in Boulder, and it was a beautiful day, and I felt a heartache, and I was like, wow, why why am I feeling heartache? And as I leaned into it, it was very uh, humbling to realize that, you know, we often think about heartache is a sign that, because it comes because something is missing. Well, here I was feeling very complete. And the heartache was the overflow that nothing was missing. And I don't want it to end. I want it to just keep going. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting that the word suffer literally means to feel keenly. So in order to know joy, we have to feel keenly too. Mm-hmm. It's not just when there's pain and worry and fear and difficult things. We feel keenly as we experience beauty and great love and wonder and surprise. Yes, absolutely. I think that word keenly is very important because it also goes with keening. When we're crying and that sort of low keening cry that just oh, is yes. so painful that I think that it's, it is, we, we can be intensely involved in the all of life and all of its pain, all of its terror, all of its all of its everything. 
So I think that's what you're trying to say. I, I, I wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind reading one more poem. I know we don't have a lot of time before sure. we have to end today, which I'm going to be very sad to see happen. <laughs> but but uh, the poem is Cracked or Healing in your book. Can you read that for us? Sure, sure. Thank you. Cracked or Healing. On the other side, everything from the quick song of birds to the peace trapped within a brook's fresh gurgle. Everything is rare and uncertain. Now I want to stand naked before every wind, though I fear I will break. And all the warrior selves stand guard, well trained for the next crisis. The fingers search the glands during winter colds. The eyes trace scars for irregularities. The heart tightens like a lip when entering a hospital where the unfelt part of my journey cries like a babe wanting its strange milk when seeing needles hang from brittle arms. But underneath... The oyster of my soul lives like a queen dethroned and exiled for her softness, though everything that matters seeps into her cell. I wait for her to send the guards away, but with a sort of pity she lets them occupy their time. What else would they do? I have given up the world through her. It peels like bark. Through her, I imitate the moon, lighting the night with reflections of my craters. Survival is the standing watch, but living now is blessing every crack as an opening, treasuring the song that whistles through his God, praying the break to let him in won't end it all. Mm-hmm. Praying the break to let him in won't end it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that is where we stand when we're in the midst of some crisis, isn't it? Well, we are at once so fragile and so resilient. And this is the mystery of being here. We are at once, I feel the heart. The heart, often when we're most alive, we feel things both wonderful and difficult, and they feel unbearable. But that's a sign that the heart is healthy and strong and doing its work because the heart is the most sensitive instrument we have. And so we are at once incredibly fragile and unbreakable. That thing in, you know, I can, you know, in my life there have been a constellation of times where my heart has been shattered, where life as I've known it has just been undone. And in those times, I have felt, my God, I don't know if I'll ever continue or how can I be put back together. But at least so far, I can say to you today, every single time, not only has my heart been put back together, but it has been stronger, gentler, larger, and more loving for it. Now, I don't know how that works, but that is the mystery of being alive, that's the mystery of dancing. That's all there's left now is to dance, mm-hmm. is to dance. Yes. And that choice that we make that's not really between polarities but an allowance of, of the polarities is that survival is the standing watch, but living now is the blessing every crack is an opening. So it's, 
it's it's kind of like recognizing that survival is going to do what it does. That thing. Well, is- and and we each of us, and again, we bring this back into the nor- the realm of quote normal ordinary days. Everyone alive is challenged to develop skills to both survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Now, out of our fear, sometimes those of us who are, let fear override us, we make survival a god. It's not a code to live by. It's a skill set. So we have to survive, but if all we do is survive without thriving, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And you can't thrive without surviving. So if we were having this amazing conversation on the street and we didn't look when we stepped into the street, we could get hit by a truck. You have to survive. You have to tend and negotiate the outer world, but it's so that we can be together like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there is some kind of acceptance that goes on uh, of sort of receiving what it, what it is that we're given, whether it's cancer or, uh, you know, a, a, another health crisis or a financial crisis or a relationship crisis or legal crisis or whatever. It's, there is some kind of receiving of that as, as sort of a... a, a a as a teacher. Yeah, as a teacher. There you go. As a teacher. Yeah. Because everyone will be given an opportunity to be dropped into the depth of life. And what we do humbly when that happens really begins our spiritual journey and our journey of love. When we can say to ourselves and each other, I don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? Can we help each other? And that's when things get real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is as real as it gets. I mean, you, it's not, there's, there's no pretense around that. It's very real, very raw. Yes. All right. Well, I wouldn't, if you don't mind, would you mind telling the listeners how they might connect with you in any way possible? Sure. Website, whatever. Yeah, there's two websites. One is marknepo.com, and the other sister site is Three Intentions, all spelled out as one word, threeintentions.com. And, you know, all of my, where I'll be teaching and speaking, uh, my schedule for the next year and beyond is up there. And all of my books, of course, are there and on Amazon and, and, and elsewhere. Um, and right now I'm entering, you know, my every year at this time I have a sabbatical where I just really can dive deep. So um, I will be at the end of January doing a, a weekend retreat on this new book in Boulder um, at Naropa that will be hosted by Sounds True. Good, good, wonderful. Yeah, so you want to be there for that if you're in that area or you can get to that area at Naropa in uh, Boulder, Colorado, um, and you'll have the dates for that and everything on your website. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Yeah. I think okay. it's January 24 and 5, but it, it, folks should check the website. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. I have really enjoyed talking with you, and I'm certain that our listening audience has received the blessing that you've intended to give. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thank you for your good work. You're very welcome. And uh, we're going to be back again next week with some more about how to live an authentic life, how to find authenticity within and without. And uh, so you want to be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth 
to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. Thank you.